Let's jump into it then. Okay, my name is Matt, pastor of Kyle Super glad that you're here. If you are new tonight, I've not met you before. I want to meet you before you leave here. I want to say what's up, uh, meet you, learn your name, and again, thrilled uh, that you're here. And even if it's your very first time and you're part of the family, we're glad you're here at Kyle uh, and we love you and we care about you. So we are going to continue our, tonight with our series called Influencers uh, that we kicked off last week. In the breakout times, one of the questions was uh, to talk about a, a situation, a responsibility you were given that you felt really out of your depth. Like, man, I really don't know what's going on here. It's too much responsibility. Uh, I'm not up to the task. And to kind of share about that uh, a little bit, man, we can all kind of relate to that feeling. Uh, I want to share a story of my own, too. When I was in high school, I worked uh, for the frozen yogurt chain, TCBY. You guys know TCBY? Uh, specifically, I worked at the one at Poplar and White Station, just down the road here, uh, all through high school, operating the, the frozen yogurt, soft serve machine, scooping the ice cream. I got real good at it too, right? Uh, do, doing all the stuff, uh, man, eating the uh, Reese's Pieces out of the bin in the back, right? Those are, those are good. Uh, and so that was, that, was, that was my job. My very first night working at TCBY, right, they give you the bright pink polo t-shirt. You guys seen this? The bright pink polo that you wear there. Uh, and they say, hey, here's the, you know, the soft serve yogurt machine. You pull down this lever and the yogurt comes out. And the, man, the first few things I made looked absurd, like a four-year-old did it. But man, after a few years there, I mean, I got a good technique, right? I, I can make the perfect little cone there that they'd like take a picture of, put on their Instagram. Uh, my first night, first night I had to learn how to do all that. I had to learn how to use the machine. And I had to learn how to use the cash register, which to this day I don't know that I still know how to use. Um, had, had to figure out, man, how, okay, we ran out of this flavor. You had to bring, bring more stuff out of the back. And, you know, it's, it's your first day on the job. Any of you guys that have had a first day on a job, you know what it's like, okay, I'm kind of like learning what I'm doing, but I'm like only like 30% sure at any given moment that, I, that, I'm, that I'm all together here, know what I'm doing. And so I finish that shift. It's all good. I go home. I come back the next night. It's, it's day number two, right? Day number two at TCBY. It's me and one other person working, right? Me uh, and one other person are the team that night, and it's my second night, and I am the senior most member uh, of the team there at TCBY, right? It's my second night, and the other person is their first night, right? I barely know what I'm doing, right? I barely know how to make the yogurt come out of the machine, right? I, I don't think either of us were sure how to get new flavors in when those ran out. That was a problem. Neither one of us were real clear on how to use the cash register and get customers their change back. And that, that was a problem as well. At the end of the night, they wanted the money like locked up in a safe. Neither one of us knew how to do that, right? So we were totally out of our debt. Like, I was not prepared for this. I had the pink shirt, right? I had like one day of training, uh, but it was not enough, right? I, I felt like totally out of my debt, uh, not in a good place as far as serving in that leadership uh, position. How many of you guys have ever worked a job where they're so short-staffed that you get promoted way too early? Yeah, like, okay, I'm, I'm put in charge of things that I should not be put in charge of, right? Like, I've got responsibilities that, honestly, anyone else would probably be better than me. Some of you guys can relate to that. Some of you guys can relate to those kind of experiences. Maybe not a job. Uh, maybe your parents ask you to do something. You're given a responsibility. And you're like, honestly, anybody to me would probably be a better choice than this, right? I feel, I feel out of my depth. I do not feel like my ability is up to this task. The person we're looking at tonight and the scripture tonight uh, felt just that way. We're looking at man, one of the most, if not the most, important figures in the Old Testament. You may know this guy. He was born in Egypt. Uh, when he was a little baby, he was put in a basket in the river. Uh, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Do you know this guy? Moses. Moses. That's it. We're talking about Moses tonight. Uh, you guys know Moses was given an incredible task. 
from the Lord as well. Right? God said, I want you to deliver my people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Did Moses feel adequate to that task? Like, could any human being feel adequate to that task? No, but we're going to learn from Moses' life um, and learn how God used him to be a tremendous influence um, on, on the people of Israel. Honestly, the rest of human civilization, the rest of human history, God used Moses in a powerful way. Uh, and we're going to look at that tonight. So we started off our series last week called Influencers where we're looking at some of the major figures of the Old Testament and what we can learn about the Lord and how he wants to use us to influence those around us for his kingdom and for his glory and how he wants to use you to leave a lasting impact, uh, to leave a lasting legacy for God's glory with your life. If you missed last week's message, that's okay. You can listen to it on the Chi Alpha Memphis podcast and catch up there, but you're going to be able to hang out just fine with us tonight. Um, as we continue on to, to, to look at the first of these influencers, these first of these major influencers with the person of Moses. If you have your Bibles, Moses' story starts in Exodus chapter 1. Second book of the Bible, Exodus, first chapter. Uh, Exodus chapter 1 is where we, is where we start with Moses' story. You know, last semester we wrapped up the semester with a series called Family Tree, where we looked at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, right? This family that God made a covenant with and said to Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And then God set the stage for the whole rest of the narrative of Scripture through this family, Abraham's family. He revealed himself to them. We learned lots of important lessons from them. And we know that one day the Savior would come through their descendants. Jesus would come. Uh, and so when we finished off, we ended last semester with Joseph's story. Joseph's story, God used Joseph even though he went through some terrible situations to get there, put him in charge of all of Egypt, moved all of uh, his, his brothers and his father and his family members to Egypt uh, where, where they could survive a famine that was going through the land. And that's how Genesis ends, right? The whole family, man, all Abraham's descendants, Jacob's whole family, all the sons and, and, uh, and children and grandchildren have moved there to Egypt. They've settled in Egypt. So when Exodus starts, uh, when Exodus picks up, and what we're going to pick up tonight uh, with the story of Moses um, is what happens next, right? What happens after that? Uh, tonight we're going to look, uh, pick up here with the story of Moses. The Lord is going to use Moses in a variety of ways. Moses is in, uh, in four of these, these Old Testament books and then mentioned again and again throughout all of the rest of Scripture. But we find Moses' story in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy primarily. Uh, and God throughout, man, these books is going to use Moses in a lot of different ways. Um, but, but for the purpose of our series, man, the two big ones we're going to look at is how God uses him as a deliverer. You guys say deliverer? Deliverer for his people and also a mediator. Say mediator. Between the people and God to be the Lord's prophet and deliver to them his law, his word. So tonight we're going to focus on the first of those, okay? Moses is deliverer. Next week we're going to look at Moses as mediator. And of course, man, what that means for us. Like what, what we can learn from that. So quick overview of Moses' life. The story of Moses begins there in the first chapter of Exodus. Jacob's descendants have settled where? In Egypt. And they've multiplied uh, there in Egypt. Hundreds of years have passed here, and there's a new pharaoh on the throne, right? A new king is on the throne who does not remember the special arrangement the previous pharaoh had with Joseph and his family and his descendants. And he sees this group of people multiplying, and he begins to oppress the Israelites and puts them into bondage and uses them as slave labor. He puts them into slavery. The people of Israel begin to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Like, God, you brought us here to save us. 
But now we're in bondage. Now we're in slavery. Man, we need you to rescue us once again. Uh, we need you to save us from this bondage. So because, this is chapter 2, because the, the Israelite population is growing so rapidly, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the king orders that every male Israelite baby, every male Hebrew baby in the country be put to death. So if a lady's given birth and she gives birth to a boy, and it says put him to death, throw him in the river. Uh, and, and so this is, this is kind of the situation that Moses is born into. So when Moses is born, his mom's like, I'm not going to do that. So she hides him, right? She hides him for about three months. And when she can no longer hide him, Exodus tells us that she makes a basket and hides him in the reeds in the bank of the Nile River. And says, I'm going to hide you, hide you here. Pharaoh's daughter and goes to bathe one day uh, in the same river and finds a basket, finds baby Moses, say, what, a baby right here, here in, my, in my bath water. She, she adopts him uh, as her own child, and Moses grows up in the palace, right, as a, as a son to the princess, right? He grows up royalty um, and born among slaves, but grows up as royalty, but he knows he's not an Egyptian, right? He can tell. He can look in the mirror or whatever shiny reflective stuff they had back then. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, right? I'm, I'm a Jewish guy. I'm an Israelite. I'm not, I'm not an Egyptian. And so he grows up to adulthood in the king's palace. One day, he observes one of the Egyptians beating uh, one of the Israelite slaves, one of the Hebrew slaves, who he knows is his own people. And he is enraged by this. Man, he is upset about this. He gets real angry, and he kills the Egyptian and hides his body in the sand. And word gets out about this. Word get back, gets back to Pharaoh. So Moses gets out of there, right? He's afraid for his life. He says, I'm not safe here anymore. He leaves Egypt and goes and settles in a land called Midian. There in Midian, he meets a family, right? He meets this, this, this guy named Jethro who's got a lot of daughters. He marries one of the daughters. He goes to work for him as a shepherd and watching over his flocks. And then the story fast forwards, uh, man, several years, many years later, where Moses has this spectacular encounter with God one day while he's out tending to the flock, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus, starting with chapter 3. And the words are going to be up there as well. If you're following along in the Bible app, uh, it's all going to be there for you as well. But Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to pick up with Moses' story here. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Through the bush, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. If you ever wonder when you're going through a hard time, does God see? Does God know? And he does. Right? He sees that. He's aware of that. Verse 8, so I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt and into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, 
the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. So now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, and you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. God's given Moses a job to do. What's the job? Lead my people out of Egypt, right? Go to Pharaoh, say, hey, Pharaoh, these are God's people, and he says it's time for them to go, and I'm here to take them out. I'm here to lead them out, right? This is a job that anyone, anyone would feel like, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know if I'm, if I'm the guy, right? If this was you, Cam, right? If, if, if this was you, Asia, right? Okay, God say, hey, I want you to go and, and speak to a king and say, hey, all your slaves, you need to go and let them go, and I'm going to lead them on out. I think this would be a big task for anybody. So Moses feels a lot like you would probably feel. Man, it doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter your talent, your skill. This is a huge task. So he feels intimidated. Scared, worried, fearful, inadequate, the list could go on and on and on. He feels all of those things. We're going to see Moses respond to God with a series of questions revealing man, his own feelings of inadequacies, his own struggle with, God, I don't think I'm up to the task, right? This is way too hard for me. So Moses replies to the Lord with a series of questions. The first one's this, uh, verse 11, Moses protested to God. Have you ever protested to God? He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people Israel out of Egypt? He says, why me, God? Shouldn't it be someone else? Like literally anyone else? Perhaps Moses was feeling guilty here about his past sin. Remember, he murdered a guy last chapter, right? Maybe he's feeling guilty about that. Maybe he says, that just disqualifies me for leadership. God, man, I've got a pretty ugly sin here, and I don't think he would want me as a leader. Perhaps he's struggling with his own shortcomings, and he felt like he lacked the ability to go and make such a bold declaration before Pharaoh. Either way, God answers in verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. I'll be with you, Moses. And this will be your sign that I am the one who has sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God at this very mountain. The assurance that the Lord gives Moses in the middle of his insecurity is this. He says, I'm going to be with you. Now, I know you don't feel adequate. I know you feel insecure. I know you feel the task is too big for you, and you are absolutely right. It is too big for you, but I'm going to be with you. You don't go alone. You don't go alone. And the same is true for each and every one of us. None of us go alone through life. I mean, God says, I'm going to go with you. Yes, the task is too big. Yes, yes whatever, whatever God's given you to do, whatever responsibility, it is too big for you. But it's not too big for God, right? Is anything too hard for God? No, no it's not, right? And so God says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. Right? You don't need to be insecure. You don't need to be worried because I'm going to be with you. Consequently, this is the exact same promise that Jesus makes to his own followers in Matthew 28 when he's sending out his followers with the great commission to go and preach the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all people and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending you out. And guess what? I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, this task is way too big, right? Share the gospel with everyone on earth. Right, man, man share, share, share the hope of Jesus with everyone on earth. Man, lead all your friends to Christ. Man, lead all your, lead all your family members to Christ. Yeah, that's tough, but I'm going to be with you, right? I'm going to be with you, always, always. But Moses, man, he still has some more questions. So let's continue on in verse 13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what is his name? And then what do I tell them? That's a fair question. They say, Moses, who is this God? Who is this God that told you to say all this? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am 
has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So now go call all together, all the elders of Israel, tell them Yahweh, as I am, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, and he told me, I've been watching you closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you, and I promise to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. Dropping down to verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I'm going to raise up my hand to strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he will let you go. So Moses says, okay, God, who, who do I say is sending me? Who do I say that you are? And so the Lord reveals his name to Moses here at the burning bush. And along with that name, he reveals his character. And he's got a heart of compassion for the people. He sees their suffering, and he's not numb to that. He's moved by that and wants to move with compassion to help them. He sees their suffering, and he wants to rescue them. So he reveals something to Moses about his character. He wants to be close enough uh, to Moses that Moses, the, the, Moses knows the Lord's heart. The Lord reveals his name to Moses, uh, and the, the name that, that he gives him here uh, is rendered in English as I am. I am. It's transliterated in Hebrew as the four letters Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H, uh, which is often articulated as Yahweh, or in the Greek, Jehovah. This name of God is referred to as the Tetragrammaton, which simply means consists of four letters, right? And those four letters are Y-H-W-H. And, and our best understanding of that is it means I am. What does it mean for the Lord to reveal himself to us as I am? I am. Well, he's the God who lives, the God who exists, the God who always has existed and always will exist forever, the constantly existing one. Before you existed, God already existed. Before there was a universe, God, God was I am, right? Long after this world is done, there's still going to be I am, right? The God is the always existing one, the living God. Other names the God of God elsewhere in the Old Testament builds off of this formula. So I am blank, right? So Yahweh Yirah, in, in the, the Greek Jehovah Jireh, I am provider, right? Or Jehovah Nisi, I am your banner, I am your victory, right? Jehovah Rapha, I am your healer. They all build off that formula. I am, and then what he is to us. And that's a way for us to understand God. God is the I am God. I am whatever you need me to be, I am. And I'm enough. I'm sufficient, right? Whatever you need, God says, I am. I am. I've got you. I've got you. This is the name that he gives. He says, tell, tell, tell them I am sent you, right? Whatever that they need, they can go to God with that because he is. This also, man, in this revelation and in his intimate name, again, Moses is the first person, first human being that we know of that's ever heard this name with that level of intimacy. It also reveals that God wants an intimate relationship with us. He wants you to know him by name. He wants you to know him by name. God is not some distant, passionless force in the cosmos who created the universe, set the earth spinning, and said, all right, y'all are on your own, right? But he's an intimate God who wants relationship with us. He wants us to know him and to be known by him. Moses still has more questions. Picking up in uh, Exodus 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me, God? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? 
We don't believe you, Moses. For the sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, skip through some of this here. But the Lord says, I'm going to give you several miraculous signs to perform uh, so that they'll know that you're the one, that I'm the one who sent you. One of those is that he can put his staff uh, down on the ground and it becomes a, a snake, right? I guess a very staff-shaped animal for it to become. It becomes a snake and they can pick it back up again and it becomes a staff. So, I mean, that's a really cool sign. Um, you got anything else? And he gives them two more, right? One of them is he can put his hand inside his, his coat, his cloak, and pull it out, and it'll be all like leprous and ashy and white. And he puts it back in, and it's all healed again, right? Okay, that's a cool sign. And the other one is that he could turn water into blood. So, so if he goes and says, hey, God told me this, and they're like, cool story, bro, but prove it. He's given him miraculous signs to perform to prove that it is God who sent him. The Lord says, I'm going to confirm your words, Moses, with miraculous signs to confirm that it really is the living God who has sent you. And so that Moses could trust, get this, in God's power, not his own ability. A lot of these questions are stemming from insecurity. Uh, I'm not up to this task. I do not have the ability. And God says, I know. That's why I'm going with you. But he wants him to trust in God's power and not in his own ability. Right? Don't, don't worry about your insecurities. It's not about you. I want you to lean on my power, my ability. So I'm going to give you these miraculous signs, the ability to perform these miraculous signs. And the New Testament continues this tradition with, with miraculous signs that confirm the preaching of the gospel, right? Everywhere Jesus went and taught and proclaimed the kingdom of God, that he would uh, heal the sick and drive out demons and work miraculous signs. And the apostles would do the same thing, that, that God would confirm the preaching of the gospel as they traveled from town to town with miraculous signs that would follow. God still wants to do miracles today. Man, I strongly believe that. God still wants to heal. Man, we shared a testimony of healing just last week. Man, Joy got down here and shared. Uh, man, I believe God wants to work miracles in your life as well. Um, he's going to confirm the preaching of his word with miraculous sign. Can you believe Moses still has more objections? This will be our last one. Verse 10. Moses pleads with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now, and even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I'll instruct you in what to say. He says, I'm not good at talking. We don't know what this is. I don't know if Moses had a speech impediment or some kind of speaking problem or if he's exaggerating it for effect here, but he is not confident in his speaking ability. I mean, I, I know a lot of us. I mean, public speaking is one of the most terrifying things in the world. Like, do not have me go speak, especially in front of like a king and his whole court and like a whole nation of people. Uh, he says, God, I'm not good at talking, and I never have been. And so he, he's protesting again. Um, and God says, Moses, I made you. I made that mouth. Right? I, I, I didn't make a mistake calling you. I knew, I knew who I called, uh, and, and there's a reason I chose you. Um, Moses pleads again, and finally the Lord consents. He says, all right, allow your brother Aaron to help. Right? Aaron's okay with talking in front of people. Your brother Aaron can help but go to Pharaoh and, and, and call for my people to go free. Um, so what happens next? Moses goes to Egypt, and he does ask Pharaoh to release the Israelites so they can go worship in the desert. What does Pharaoh say? No, he's not up to that. He said, no, that's not a good deal for me, right? Because I've got this whole nation of slaves. In fact, I'm going to make it harder for them. They've got to make even more bricks now, and I'm not going to give them the straw, which I guess was a necessary component to make it. Um, I'm going to make stuff harder for them. The Israelites are like, Moses, why are you making life harder for us, right? So he goes to Pharaoh again and warns him, says, if you don't set God's people free so they can go and worship him uh, out in the desert, there's going to be plagues that are going to come upon you, right? Terrible plagues. They're going to devastate the land. And Pharaoh still says, no, 
I'm not going to let these people go. So a series of plagues begins to come upon the land, one after another. I mean, you can read about it there. Uh, man, as you read through there in early Exodus, a series of nine plagues devastate the land. Uh, there's hail. Uh, and there's locusts, and again, the water turned into blood, um, and this, the, the, the sky goes dark, and there's all kinds of terrible stuff. Uh, the, the, the livestock are wiped out, boils are on people's skin, frogs come in, jumping on people. Do you guys like frogs? Uh, again, I mentioned locusts come and, and eat all the crops. It's real bad. There's flies, there's gnats. The people are absolutely miserable, and through it all, Pharaoh's like, maybe I should let these people go, and you think he's going to, but he's like, no, he's stubborn, he hardens his heart, uh, and, and so there, there's a series of nine plagues that devastates the land. The Lord warns that there's going to be one final plague, right? He's going to send an angel throughout the land, and the firstborn son of every family, and even of the livestock, is going to die. This will be the final plague, and then finally, Pharaoh will relent and release the people. In Exodus 12 and 13, the Lord gives Moses special instructions for how the Israelites are going to survive this plague. He's going to send a plague on the land, but with all these plagues, he protected the area where the Israelites were settled, protected them from the plagues. He says, I'm going to protect you from this one as well, but here's what you need to do. And so in Exodus 12 and 13, he gives these special instructions for what we refer to now as the Passover. He says, each family may get a, a pure spotless lamb. And you're going to slaughter that lamb, and you're going to spread the blood on the doorposts, right? Across the door uh, as a marking, and this family belongs to God. And the angel passes through the land. He's going to skip your house, right? When he's going through and, and taking the, the life of the very firstborn, he's going to pass over you because of this sacrifice, because of this shed blood. And each year, you're going to remember this. You're going to have a special feast, a special festival together as a family called Passover to remember how, because of this sacrifice, God spared you. He passed over you. Um, Jewish people still celebrate this today. Passover is still celebrated uh, every year today. Some of you guys may have been to a, to a Passover meal, a Passover Seder, um, and, and it's really cool and interesting to experience that, but, but they still remember the time that God spared them, passed over them. Um, this, this shedding of the blood, the sacrifice of this lamb so that God's wrath could pass over them is a foreshadowing to one day when he would send Jesus. And Jesus, the pure, spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world, that because of Jesus' sacrifice, right, and Jesus' blood applied to our life, and the wrath of God passes over us as well. It means we don't get what we deserve for all of our sins, failures, mistakes, everything that we've done wrong that puts us at odds with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, and that passes over us. And instead, God extends us grace and mercy and forgiveness and adopts us into the family of God forever when we put our trust in Jesus, the Savior. So the Passover is hugely important for us to understand the rest of Scripture and what God would do uh, through sending his son Jesus. And again, if you've never put your trust in Jesus that way, say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Make me right with God so I can have that relationship with God. We're going to do that tonight. Now we're going to have a chance to pray just in a minute here. Um, so the, the Israelites are spared. The firstborn all throughout the rest of Egypt dies, including Pharaoh's own son, and this is enough. Pharaoh breaks, and he says, get out of here. Go. You know, take your people and leave. They travel out into the desert, uh, having been blessed with great wealth from the Egyptians on their way out. The Lord leads them out supernaturally with a pillar of cloud right up to the edge of the sea. Right up to the edge of the sea. 
Pharaoh has a change of heart. He says, what have I done? Man, I sent all my slave labor out of the country. What am I supposed to do now? And he sends his army after him. Now I've changed my mind. Man, go get them. And, and sends his army and his chariots to pursue them. The Israelites are kind of hemmed in. They've got the army of Pharaoh on one side and an entire sea on the other. And you guys may be familiar with what happens next. God supernaturally um, and calls Moses to, to lift up his staff and he parts the Red Sea on either side so the Israelites can cross on dry land, safely to the other side, uh, and then when the, the, the Egyptians come in pursuit, uh, and then the sea overtakes them, and they, they drown, uh, and God saves, uh, saves his people just as he promised to do. The Lord worked powerfully through Moses, Moses who was timid, Moses who felt inadequate, Moses who said, God, literally anybody else. God worked powerfully through him to the point where Moses began to trust God's power, not his own inadequacies. To where this once timid and insecure Moses could confidently encourage the people with this in Exodus 14 as they're standing there, uh, there at the Red Sea. Exodus 14, verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. This doesn't even sound like the same guy, right, from the burning bush, right? But he's learned to trust God's power, not his own ability. God's power, not his own shortcomings. So what about us, right? What can we learn from the story of Moses? What does God want us to learn uh, for, for our generation, how he wants to use you in the lives of your friends, your classmates, your family members? First, Moses was a real human being, like a real human being with faults and shortcomings, Possibly a speech impediment of some kind, a debilitating lack of confidence, a deep insecurity, anger issues that led him to sin, fear about that past sin, fear about his own inability and how it would make it impossible for the Lord to use him, right? Not the most likely figure to lead a whole nation, but God used him anyway. God did use Moses to call his people out of bondage and slavery and into a covenant relationship with the Lord. And let me tell you guys tonight, he wants to use you to do the same thing. Not to go to like the, the president of Egypt, right, and, and, and make a big speech. Not to go to any king. He wants to use you to call people out of bondage and slavery and into a relationship with God. And the, the, the call that he gave to Moses, man, in a way, is every one of us as followers of Jesus calling the people around us. Hey, I see you're in bondage. I see you're in slavery. Maybe it's not physical, literal slavery, maybe, but it's, maybe it's a bondage to an addiction. Maybe it's slavery to sin. Maybe it's just the hopelessness of not knowing God and trying to go through. Uh, man, everyday life is tough, and without the hope of Christ in their life, man, you see them in that bondage, and God wants to use you to be that prophetic voice like Moses to call them out of slavery, out of bondage, and into a covenant relationship with God. Say, man, let me tell you about the hope I found in Jesus. And let me tell you about the freedom that I've found, and then call them out of that life uh, and into the new life that God has for them. He can and does want to use you to share the good news of that freedom, to call people out of darkness and into a relationship with him. So just like Moses, this is going to mean getting over our own guilt. This means getting over our own shame, our own insecurity. Uh, and two big points that I have for us tonight. The first one is this. We need to learn to trust in God's power like Moses. Right? Trust in God's power, not in our own ability. Trust in God's power, not in our own ability. Every one of us has been put in a situation that is too big for us, right? And if we're just going to look at our own ability, we're going to feel insecure. We're going to say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle this. Maybe for you, it's college. Maybe it's like, college is too hard. Like, I, I, I'm, I can't handle this. I can't do this. Um, maybe it's a family situation that's really tough. Maybe it's a financial situation, a health situation. I can't handle this. 
God wants you to lean on him, to trust in his power, not your own ability, right? He wants to help you with it. He wants to go, you know, go with you in the midst of it. And especially, man, when it comes to I mean, sharing your faith with others, and as you see people around you in bondage and proclaiming freedom to them, calling them uh, to relationship with Jesus, uh, he wants you to trust in his power for that, not in our own insecurities, not in our own abilities. And the Lord encourages the Apostle Paul when he felt hindered by weakness as well. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. You guys know Apostle Paul who wrote like a good chunk of the New Testament, was an incredible missionary church planner uh, throughout the region there. Man, he, he even had a weakness. Man, he had, he had a feeling of weakness here. There was something in his life that just it, it wasn't quite there. And this is what God encourages him with. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It says, but he said to me, this is God speaking, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness because then Christ's power may rest in me. So God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's okay that you've got weaknesses. It's okay that you've got shortcomings. It's okay that you've got inabilities. God says, man, that just gives me a chance to show off. So when I do the thing, everyone will know it's not because of your ability. It's not because of how smart you were, how good looking you were, charismatic you were, strong you were, full of ability that you were. It's because of God's power. So he gets the glory. When Paul began to understand that, he's like, oh, for real? Why am I going to boast of my weakness? I'm weak in this area. I'm weak in this here. I, I'm, I'm hopeless here. If it wasn't for God, and you guys see how God gets the glory from that? So as Paul does accomplish thing after thing, he's given the credit the attention to Jesus, giving the praise and the glory to Jesus instead. God says, I'm not upset about your weaknesses. In fact, I'm thrilled about them. I made you that way, by the way, right? I made you that way. And my power is going to be made perfect in that weakness. That's where I get to shine. Because you're going to know, and everyone's going to know, that wasn't your ability, right? That didn't happen because of you. That happened because of God. And he gets all the glory. You guys tracking with me? So that's the first one is to trust in God's power, not our own ability. We want God to use us to influence the people around us. They're not going to be influenced because of how special I am, right? Or because of some ability that I have. They're going to be influenced in the ways that I let God's power be on display in my life. And the second one is this. Listen to God's heart, not our own insecurities. Moses' problem was he was all listening to his own insecurities. He was all in his head, all in his mind, all in his heart, all in his feelings about all the ways that he came up short. We've got to listen to God's heart, not our own insecurities. The Lord loves you. He really does. God really loves you, and he loves the people around you. And in the same way God was grieving to see his children in bondage and slavery in Egypt, God is grieved over the lostness and bondage of the people around you that don't know God. And your friends, your classmates, your family members, your roommates, maybe strangers around you that are far from God, that don't know the hope, don't know the peace, don't know the joy of a relationship with Jesus, and that grieves the Father's heart. So we need to listen to God's heart. We get in our own head, man, we think about all of our shortcomings. We come up with a long list of excuses, just like Moses. Like, we could laugh at Moses' story, except that's each and every one of us, right? But God said, man, instead of listening to your own insecurities, listen to God's heart. What is God's heart for your neighbor and for your friend and for your classmate that needs to hear the gospel? Um, because God's heart's grieved for them, and, and, and he's given us this incredible honor and responsibility to proclaim the freedom we found in Christ to them. This is going to mean allowing the Lord to give us a heart for the people around us rather than listening to our own insecurities, rather than making a long list of reasons why, God, it shouldn't be me. Anybody but me, God. Anybody but me. No, it should be you because the Lord's chosen you for this exact purpose. It can't be anybody else. 
right? God has given each and every one of you in this room a specific purpose. He's got a plan for your life. There's something he wants you to do, wants you to accomplish that is too big for you. And he wants you to trust in him and to lean on his power and lean on his ability. He wants you to get his heart for the people around you so that he can use you uh, in that way uh, to reach them, to proclaim freedom to them. It means we shouldn't listen to all those reasons why it shouldn't be us, but be confident that God has chosen us and he has a purpose for us. This will be our last verse tonight. The Apostle Peter writes this to the church to encourage us in our role as God's chosen vessels to proclaim his freedom. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you are a chosen people. Right? This is to the church. This is to Christians. This is to you guys. You are a chosen people, chosen by God. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God has made you a nation of priests, right, to proclaim to the people around you the freedom that you found in Jesus, to call people out of darkness and into light. The same way he rescued you from bondage, right, from, from, from sin, from hopelessness, from despair, he rescued you from that. He wants to use you to rescue other people. He sent Moses to proclaim freedom to those who are captive. He wants to use you in the same way, proclaim freedom to the people around you, right? The focus tonight, right, is Moses in that role as deliverer. Moses in role as deliverer, but he's only a foreshadowing to the true deliverer, Jesus, right, who made a way through the cross for us to be set free of our sins, set free of all the bondage uh, and attacks of the enemy, that the bondage of sin and death could be broken off of our life. We could have forgiveness and eternal life in him, and God wants to use you to proclaim that to the people around you. Amen? So we want to encourage ourselves in that and realize that he wants to use us in that way. Jack, would you mind to come play quietly? We'll wrap up here. The story of Moses teaches us that the Lord can use anyone. Amen? The Lord can use anyone. It doesn't matter. No matter their shortcomings, to be his prophetic voice to call the people out of their bondage and into a relationship with him. The Lord can and wants to use you to influence the people around you and call them out of the bondage of sin and hopelessness and into a relationship with the God who loves them and sent his own son to be that Passover lamb sacrificed for them. And God loves you. He loves the people around you. And I think as you begin to trust in his power and not in your own ability or lack of ability, as you begin to listen to his heart and really get his heart for the people around you instead of just listening to all the reasons why God, not me though. Like I know Christians are supposed to share their faith. I know Christians are supposed to love on people, but... God, here's all my reasons why, not me though. This is my exemption, right? I've got a note from the doctor, right? Well, I don't have to do gym today. We try to show that to Jesus. It's, no, because it's not about your ability, right? It's about, about my power. I'm going to be with you. You don't go alone. I'm going to be with you. Now, there is tremendous potential in this room, right? With, with, with the young, young men and young women in this room, there is tremendous potential. Right? To see a campus transform, to see a tr city transform. There's world changers in this room, if you will. If you allow God to use you that way. Now, you can bring your, your laminated note and say, hey, here's all the reasons why I can't participate today. That doesn't sound nearly as exciting as saying, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, I'm, I'm here. I want you to use me for your kingdom, for your glory. I want you to use me to call people out of slavery and bondage and see them come alive in Christ. That's exciting. That's thrilling. Right? Those of you guys that have the experience to lead a friend to Christ, I mean, there is nothing like that feeling. Nothing.
that's the exciting life that God has for you, the full life that Jesus has for you. If you'll trust in his power, not your own lack of ability, right? If, and you'll really get his heart and not just kind of focus on your own insecurities and shortcomings, amen? Would you guys bow your heads? Father God, I just ask that you would really drill this down into our hearts. There is a shift that you want to happen in each of us that's going to cause a shift in our culture, as Chi Alpha, as our ministry, as we begin to step into that role, embrace that role you have for us to be people of influence to the people around us, to be a prophetic voice proclaiming there is freedom. You don't have to stay in this bondage. You don't have to stay in the state of slavery and captivity. Even when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, man, they wanted to go back. They, they remember, I mean, wasn't it easier when I was just in bondage? Wasn't it easier when I was just a slave? And they, they, they don't understand even what freedom's like. But God wants you to use you as a prophetic voice to call them out of that. Say, there is a better way to live than addiction. And then these bad choices you're making that are bringing destruction into your life. And there's a better way to live. You can have hope. You can have forgiveness in Jesus you can have life in God. You can have true peace, true joy. You can have someone to take your problems and troubles to that can really help. Someone that will lift your insecurities, lift your anxiety, and bring you real lasting peace. God wants to use you if you'll let him. Some of you here tonight are in a place where some mad, and I, I personally feel like I'm in bondage. There's there, there's sins that I'm struggling with. There, there's temptations I'm messing around with. There's stuff that man, I'm, I'm addicted to. And, and I need that freedom of Jesus tonight. Well, I want to encourage you. You can be free tonight. What Jesus did on the cross, man, his shed blood on the cross breaks the bondage of sin off of your life. When you put your faith in him, when you put your trust in him, it's broken off of your life. And you can walk out of that thing completely free. That the freedom, the liberty that Jesus bought on the cross with his own blood can be reality in your life. And I know what it is to be a Christian for a long time. You look at other people and you say, man, well, why, why is it so easy for them? Or how are they able to get free? But I keep going around and around with the same sin again and again. And you begin to feel like, man, freedom's just for everyone but me. No, it's reality for you as well. And trust God that he can set you free of that thing. You can walk out of that thing. You can leave it tonight and never go back. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, if that's anybody tonight, they would say, that's me. There's just an area of bondage in my own life. It doesn't have to be a sin. It can just be something else. It just feels oppressive, um, and it just feels like it's got you under its thumb. It's weighing on you. Uh, it could be a situation uh, or a struggle. If that's you tonight, say, man, I need freedom in my own life. Would you raise your hands so we can pray together? Several of you, several of you. Yes, let's pray. Jesus, we need your freedom. Man, before we can even think about proclaiming it to others, we need it ourselves. God, I know that you love each and every one of these students, and I pray where they are overwhelmed, where they feel like they are in bondage, Maybe it's an addiction, God, a habitual struggle. God, I pray for your freedom in the name of Jesus in their life, that they would bring it to you, that they would trust you, and they would walk in the freedom and liberty that you have for them. They would walk right out of that bondage of slavery into the promised life that you have for them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you've never done this before, I mean, I, I, I just encourage you, put your faith and your trust in Jesus tonight. Trust Jesus and what he did on the cross to save you and make you right with God instead of your own ability to do good. So Jesus, I put my trust completely on you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I'm going to live for you from this day forward. And when you do that, when you put your trust in Jesus that way, he forgives you of all your sins, all your mistakes, everything you've done wrong, and he adopts you into the family of God with new life. 
to do that tonight, man. And I encourage you, uh, man, if you want to put your trust in Jesus that way, man, tell somebody, tell somebody about the decision you've made. For the rest of us here tonight, God, God, I pray that you would use us. Use us to be a prophetic voice to those around us, God. Use us to proclaim liberty and freedom to those around us. I pray that even in this moment, you would pe put people's uh, names and faces on our hearts. People would come to mind that, God, I want you this week. Would you give me a chance to share the gospel with this person? The gospel just meaning the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. God, would you give me an opportunity to share my testimony with this person, to share about the hope I found in Jesus, to share that God loves them? That's a prayer Holy Spirit wants to answer. God, would you use us to proclaim freedom for people, to call people out of bondage and call people into a relationship with you? God, help us to get your heart for the people around us. In Jesus' name, use us in a powerful way, God. God, use us as individuals. Use us I mean, as the ministry of Chi Alpha, God. God, I know there's 23,000 students on this campus that you love and that Jesus died for, and many of them so far from you. God, use us. Use us to proclaim freedom to them, God. Now, there's, there's some people tonight that have been so overwhelmed with insecurities all their life that, that, that they've just held down from that. And I believe you want to break that off their life tonight. That they wouldn't look to their own shortcomings, that they would just lock eyes on you, God, and the fullness of your ability, which is infinite. You can do anything. And trust that you're with them every step of the way. God, we love you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing in each student's life. God, I pray that you bless them, favor them, help them, God, whatever their situation is. God, work in their lives. Be glorified in our lives, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue with Moses' story next week and talk about how God used Moses to be a mediator between him and the people, how he would spend time in God's presence praying for them, and how God gave his word, the law, through Moses. That'll be Moses part two uh, when we see you guys back here next week. Remember, Pizza and Theology is on Friday at what time? Six o'clock on the second floor of the UC in the Senate chamber, free pizza. Uh, and uh, again, if you're not plugged into a life group, man, talk, talk to somebody with one of these lanyards on. We'll tell you how you can be a part of one of those. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week.